Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty podcast, episode number six, all about weapon mounted lights. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and on duty law enforcement officers. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jacob Paulson from ConcealedCarry.com and Steve Moses from Palisade Training Group out of Texas. And again, we're going to talk all about weapon-mounted lights, the difference in civilians and law enforcement carrying that weapon-mounted light. But first, message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Concealed Carry Gun Tools app the best resource for any gun owner, law enforcement, or otherwise, and it's 100% free. It's available for both Apple and Android devices. Search the App Store for Concealed Carry Gun Tools today. You'll find maps, gun businesses near you, legal summaries, articles, videos, training logs, and, of course, this podcast. Don't miss a beat on the industry. Download the app today. As an 18-year law enforcement officer, I am constantly asked, what are the concealed carry laws in this state? Is my permit valid in this state and that state and so on? And my standard answer is get on your smartphone, download the concealed carry gun tools app, because with the interactive map, the answers are at your fingertips. Download that concealed carry gun tools app. This app, I've given it to uh, a number of guys that I work with and just showed them the power of this app and this tool. And it is absolutely an asset to today's law enforcement officer. All right, joining us now, Jacob Paulson from ConcealedCarry.com and Steve Moses from Palisade Training Group. Welcome to the podcast, fellas. Thank you. Good to be here. Been looking forward to this, Brian. Excellent. So the topic of today will be weapon-mounted lights. And I really want to attack this. I wanted two guys that were... Uh, you know, kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, um, you know, being me being an 18 year cop and, and Jacob being, uh, like a lifelong not. concealed carrier, <laughs> not, <laughs> <laughs> and then I wanted somebody to set in the middle of the table, uh, being Steve Moses, who's had a pretty extensive background in law enforcement and has also been what, like a 40 year student of the gun, if I'm not mistaken or more, uh, actually probably more at this point. I didn't want to admit that, but I guess I'm forced to. We, we won't pry for more details. <laughs> Please don't. My first exposure to weapon-mounted lights was the military. We we struggled with, you know, mountain lights to carbines before everybody had, uh, you know, every manufacturer out there built some type of purpose-built weapon-mounted light. And then in law enforcement, my first four years on the police department, we were very I won't say anti-weapon mounted light, but it was uh, it was really starting to come to the forefront with, you remember the old Inside M3s, the, the halogen 80 lumen, which, uh, yeah. yeah. So when that came out, the training was um, kind of in its infancy and we had like a four hour familiarization and then we, <laughs> we rolled with it. And I'll never forget, and I'm not talking bad on anybody, but one of the first things they demonstrated was using your trigger finger to activate the switch on the light. And that was kind of not, that was very short-lived. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and then, 
it's kind of progressed now to where recruits get a light and it is just, it's part of the kit now. Um, whereas when I'm off duty, I am 100% handheld light. I don't carry a weapon mounted light. Use the example. I have yet to be standing, you know, outside of my condo here and had somebody, you know, an entry team go, Hey, Brian, jump in the stack. We're going to go take down a, this unit over here because of some criminal activity that hasn't happened to me. So I haven't felt the need to carry a weapon mounted light. Though, you know, it's, you bring up an interesting point, Brian, because, uh, and maybe this is not perfectly the direction we want to go, but, but, you know, the conversation there is sort of handheld versus weapon mounted. And I think the correct answer is always both, right? Like you don't, you don't not carry a weapon mounted light on you off duty because you think there's absolutely zero value. It's more of a convenience factor. At least it is for me. I, I know that, um, if I could comfortably carry a weapon mounted light on my EDC gun, I would. It just causes serious problems in terms of footprint and, and concealment, uh, in terms of holster selection and availability. So I don't have anything against a weapon mounted light, you know, on a carry gun. It just seems to not generally work out that way. Yeah, for me, it's kind of along the same lines. And carrying in an appendix rig, which I carry appendix off work all the time i've actually got my appendix rig sitting over here on the desk but it's really for me it's a matter of convenience and it's having the experience of of using a weapon mounted light in real time in law enforcement it really i don't see the application when i'm away from law enforcement except maybe in the home the proverbial nightstand gun that's about the only application i see for it uh, not saying it's bad. I wouldn't poo-poo anybody that, that does carry a weapon-mounted light in a concealed carry format, but it just, to me, the practicality is not there, for mostly for the reasons you mentioned, but also the, the implementation of it. Steve, you got anything to add on that? Well, I'm very much in agreement. I do not carry a weapon-mounted light uh, outside my house. Uh, you know, as Tom Gibbons just said, even in low light, in most instances, there has to be enough light for both the uh, concealed carrier and the uh, the criminal offender to identify and see each other. It typically happens at short distances. Uh, a lot of times they talk about, well, you know, night is 24, I mean, 12 hours of every 24-hour cycle. Well, that is correct, but that doesn't mean that we're in the dark of 12 hours. So in most of those instances, there is enough light available to us where there's really no, you know, big advantage uh, to be gained by having weapon man light on a you know concealed carry pistol, in my opinion. Fair. My first encounter with trying to carry a weapon mounted light in an off-duty or concealed carry capacity is I went to a local holster maker here and said, "Can you make me an appendix rig with that that'll take a uh, TLR one streamlight?" And which is what I was carrying at the time. And his answer was uh, no. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I think all, all EDCs, all EDC decisions are effectively um, convenience versus practical application, you know, balancing games. Right. And so you have to say, is, is the inconvenience that this is going to cause me worth the squeeze? And right. I think that for most of us, I'm sort of in the camp of, well, 
if you, yeah, why not? Like if you want to have a, a weapon amount of light on your, on your gun, like go, go to town. Like I, I see no downside no. outside of the obvious inconvenience factors, right. In terms of finding a holster and whether or not it's going to work in your carry position and, and those things. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, why not in my camp? I just, I just, to me, the, the, the squeeze is not worth, you know, the juice is not worth the squeeze, you know, in terms of the inconvenience it causes. Yeah. And as a policeman, it, it's, it's just part of the kit now. It it just is part of the package. You know, when I hired on, it was gun radio flashlight, go fight crime. You know, it, it was pretty, pretty, pretty simple in the equipment area. You know, you, you've got a gun, you got a radio, you got a flashlight. Here's a set of cuffs, you know, go put bad guys in jail and, and protect good people and et cetera. And then as we started to progress in the early 2000s into some of the equipment race, we're not immune from, uh, you know, I saw that in the competition shooting circles, you know, it's all about the gear. It's all about the gear. Well, we did fine with 80 lumen halogens for years. And, uh, now it seems to be a race of how bright can I get my flashlight and how bright can I get my gun light? And I have to have a gun light and I have to have this. And to me, it was not a bad that was one of the few tools that we had that i didn't really see a lot of negatives on the police side it really being purpose-built fit the role of what we did on a daily basis which was search buildings for bad guys and search houses for bad guys it really gave us an advantage whereas some of the other gear that's come up in the last few years it really (laughs) it falls into the realm of mediocrity. You know, it just, it, it does things. Okay. But, it, but that really seemed to be a game changer until we started having negligent discharges and people being injured. And it came back to blame on the gun light to some degree. So that was, that's been an, an ever evolving challenge. Well, we need, we, we need things to blame when we make mistakes uh, you know, wh- one interesting thing, and we're obviously talking primarily about handguns and in the handgun, you know, the w- weapon mounted light seems to be a little bit more debatable, particularly in the off-duty concealed carry world in which yeah. I inhabit. Uh, but think of like a carbine. You don't, you don't find someone with a carbine that doesn't have a light mounted, right? Because it's, there's no inconvenience factor. Like right. there's zero, it's, I'm not stuffing this down my pants. I'm not trying to get a holster to fit my, my AR. So on the carbine, of course, you're going to have a weapon mounted light. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's another way to kind of, you know, contrast this and understand the, the variance. Yeah. The other, the other thing is being a two-handed shoulder mounted weapon, you really don't have a way. I mean, you do to some extent for a handheld, but when you're, when you're running guns and eyeballs, meaning you're looking over the gun or you're actively searching for somebody bad, um, it's really not too practical to have a, a handheld light in your hand while you're operating a carbine. Um, and, you know, using two hands, it can really get, really get difficult. Um, so I see a huge benefit with a carbine. You're absolutely right. Every carbine we issue has a light attached to it. And they are, <laughs> that is essentially one piece of issued kit, you know, and, and yeah. it, and it's grown into the handgun as well. We spend a lot more time training with them now. And that's always been one of my, uh, I won't say one of my negatives or downsides to civilians carrying weapon mounted lights, but as a policeman, my agency puts quite a bit of effort into training people with lights because we had an incident several years ago and it, it became a, an incident. It wasn't directly related to the light being 
available as much as it was, well, why didn't you use it? <laughs> so we've really taken, um, taken a proactive stance towards training people to use them. And in the civilian circles, I'm not aware of a whole ton of people that train low light and, and weapon mounted light specifically for the handgun for, for a number of reasons. That's but That's a fair point. Yeah, that's super fair. Like, and Steve, you're gonna have you're gonna have some thoughts on this too. But yeah, in my in my world, right of of uh, civilian concealed carry training stuff, it's not that easy to find a low light class you can go take. Um, I've I've taken a few up at Sig Academy, but you know I live in Denver. Not the average person in Denver can fly to New Hampshire on a regular <laughs> basis. Uh, and so you know, there's there's limited options. They exist. They're just not going to be as easy to find locally for most people. You know, here's another thing. I'm really interested to hear from you guys who that training, that training is a little bit more available and you have a little bit more hands-on experience with running a weapon mount of light. And that would be the various techniques for holding that light. You know, we, we hear all the time about the Rogers technique or the FBI or the Harry's or the, you know, these various methods of uh, running a handheld light in a hand while holding a handgun. Uh, and so I'd love to hear, you know, you guys input on that because I think in the, in the civilian world, again, the, the training is limited. And so we don't get enough we don't get a lot of exposure in terms of different perspectives and points of view. Well, I tell you what, before we go there, I'm going to interject something, and that would be to ask Brian to perhaps articulate what advantages that a weapon-mounted light actually gives to a police officer uh, working patrol. Because obviously there's a reason that they become, you know, uh, popular and our issues. So, Brian, I mean, what particular and specific advantages does a weapon-mounted light give to you in some of the situations in which you might actually become engaged in? Well, the primary one, there's there's really there's two to me. There's two just very distinct benefits that they have over a handheld. And number one is when we make a felony traffic stop, right? And that's, you know, a wall of light and you're bare, you, you're taking a position to cover and concealment behind some type of ballistic, uh, resistant material, like a car door or an engine block. And you may have, you have not only the distance of the car, but you have the distance of the suspect's car. So if things go sideways, you need to be on your accuracy game and two hands Absolutely. on a, two mm-hmm. hands on a pistol is the best way to get the ma- squeeze the maximum accuracy out of it. Having that light, because a lot of those incidents happen in periods of uh, limited visibility, uh, having that handheld light is absolutely a game changer in that regard. Um, try to, <laughs> even somebody well-trained, give them a 15-yard shot under stress uh, with a flashlight in one hand and the gun in the other. And it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, put two hands on the gun. You, you're just, you're increasing not only your lethality, but, but your, your ability to manage the gun. Um, the second is when you have to go hands-on with someone. And I mean, and I'm talking maybe a, a, a compliant suspect, but there's still other suspects that are, that are in the vicinity and you're trying to take each one of them into custody, having that handheld light and being able to free up one hand to either apply handcuffs or operate a radio or exactly operate, uh, you know, emergency equipment while you're still maintaining, you know, a position to cover a position of advantage. Th- there's just no substitute for a gun light. 
that's the game changer there. Mm. And by the same token, that's really interesting uh, to hear you I, say that. Well, uh, I was going to say that by the same token, uh, it gives you all those advantages, but it also does not cause you to discount the importance of a handheld light, does it? Especially when you're doing uh, building searches, uh, sometimes even uh, on your own. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and, you know, in a perfect world, if you have to enter a structure, you're going to do it with at least four plus people. So you have 360 degrees of security around your element moving through a structure. Four people is a good, like, like that should be the minimum. Well, in police work, sometimes it can be one or two, hopefully not one, but, uh, but two people paired up and, being able to cover more dark places with more light is better. And, you know, that's one of the, one of the things not getting too far off into gear that I have, but with the manufacturer scaling down the size of lights where you have more juice for the squeeze, you have more illumination in a smaller package. Plus you have a hand or a a weapon mounted light that you can keep in a low ready and use that cast to that cast of light to search. And that's a huge, huge benefit. Um, which consequently is one of those things that when I look at it from the civilian perspective, I, I go, man, if what are the chances I'm going to be searching a structure as a civilian and probably, probably pretty slim, except in the home defense scenario, maybe. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But even as a, uh, a police officer that is forced to perhaps do a search of a structure either by themselves or with another partner, not only for the reasons that you mentioned, the ability to use that handheld light and hold it away from your face in order to also just identify where that light source is coming from, uh, that can also give you a great tactical advantage uh, the same way it does for a homeowner. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So Jacob, you were talking about, uh, you said that was kind of interesting to hear it from, uh, our perspective. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is, I mean, in the civilian world, the generally accepted, uh, thing, right. Taught by and, and mm-hmm. written about and YouTubed about in, in the civilian community. When, when we talk about lights is that a weapon mounted light is ideally leveraged in a single use scenario to identify and to, no, I shouldn't say to identify, but to illuminate a target I'm going to shoot at, right? That's that in, in, in my world, in the community of concealed carry, the weapon mounted lights job is to illuminate the target that I, that's been identified now needs to, you know, we need to put holes in it. Right. Uh, and that's to ensure that I get accurate, good shots on target. Whereas the handheld light, is generally thought of or or taught to be used for, frankly, all other light-related purposes, <laughs> searching, identifying, uh, et cetera, uh, and and that's the way we you know we we talk about it as an industry uh, in the, in the civilian you know non-law enforcement world, but it has some failings there, that, and and I'm thinking more about those failings in this conversation because I don't. I've never, I've never had someone uh, grab me and say, "Hey, go search that random building over there." You don't know the layout of. Like that's never happened to me, right? And it's probably never going to happen to me uh, because I don't put on a badge. Uh, and so, 
my my you know my scenarios in my head when I envision me activating a light when I'm taking that class that low light class class what am I thinking of well I'm I'm certainly thinking about home defense to your to your point Brian I think that's absolutely the most common scenario that's going through my head um, is it possible that it could be a late night you know coming back from a whatever and in the parking garage that's poorly lit and I, I now need to see sure that. Yeah, there's there's other scenarios where you know like it could be viable, but primarily I'm thinking about my home, and in in my head what I see is I see myself. Well, if I'm being honest, I see my wife waking up, then her waking me up, uh, and then I you know I'm grabbing the gun, uh, which yeah I have I have a weapon mounted light on my on my home defense gun, uh, so I grab that gun I'm, and I'm grabbing a handheld light. And I'm going to go do my business. And if I if I have some pretty high level of confidence that there is something in the home, then obviously some you know home defense tactics is not the point of our conversation. But other things might take place relative to isolating the family or barricading a room or whatever. But if but if I'm uncertain, right, the brain, the natural brain says like go check stuff, see if wife is crazy. And so I'm going to walk around the house and I'm going to use a handheld light to be checking stuff out to, to be looking and, you know, illuminating and maybe I'll even throw lights on in the house, but, but that's, you know, in my head that that's the job of the handheld light. And that seems fine and dandy. And on paper, when I write a blog post about it or do a YouTube video, teach a class, that sounds pretty reasonable, but where the rubber hits the road, I think comes in, in two things that you said that I thought were very interesting. The first one is, well, aren't I better off if I have two lights on? Right, like, aren't I in a better situation if my handheld light? I'm directing the beam where I want it, and maybe my weapon-mounted light. I'm just, you know, I got it at a at a at a low ready or a high ready, and I'm I'm casting some light off of the floor, or the wall, or whatever else, and I'm illuminating the area a little bit better that way. Isn't that isn't aren't I better off than I am with one light? To which I have to say, yeah, I, I suppose you probably are. Uh, and, and you know, I never I never really thought of it that way because in our world. And by ours, I really mean that the concealed carry citizen community, it, you know, we we condemn conceptually the idea of searching with a weapon mounted light because the idea that you could very easily muzzle uh, an innocent threat. And it's all about context, right? What is more likely to happen in my world? Am I more likely to wake up in the middle of the night, uh, walk around and, and, and run into one of my children? Or am I more likely to wake up, walk around and run into a burglar? And, and the obvious answer to that is it's more likely one of my children. And so muzzling them with my weapon mounted light and getting surprised all of a sudden when I turn a quarter and I see some movement and, and, and what that might do to me, um, I have, you know, knowing what the odds are, I have to mitigate that risk pretty significantly. And so a weapon mounted light is probably not the best tool for me to be running around searching my house with. Yeah, that's a, uh... That's an excellent point. And on the law enforcement side, if I have to come into your house and search it, uh, there is probably some evidence that a crime is afoot, meaning, oh man, the homeowners called and now, and we got here and the back doors kicked in and maybe they're on the line with 911 and I have to relay information, you know, and, and I've, I've been in this scenario where we've had an active burglar and I have a homeowner saying, hey, I'm in my bedroom and I'm armed. Well, if I don't have a weapon-mounted light, I've got a handheld light. Now I've got an operator radio to go third-hand through a dispatch center to say, okay, I'm coming in and I have a flashlight. Please don't shoot at the light or you know, put your gun on the, the, the bed there and we'll, we'll come to you. Um, a weapon-mounted light is critical. Because if I had a third hand, it would be awesome. I could just reach down there and grab the radio and, <laughs> and, you know, but, but having the weapon mounted light and having the ability to stay engaged in that situation, 
while still being able to relay information or, or, or whatever the case may be there, um, it, it's, it's crucial. And on the civilian side, the chances of you seeing your neighbor's house broken into your immediate response is going to be, let's call the police and have them go, go sort this out. Right. Where on the police side, we're going in there knowing there is something actively going on. We're not just going to go, well, that house looks like it might be unsecure. Let's go check it. Or, you know, yeah, the lights on in the kitchen. Let's, we better break in. Yeah. yeah. We better kick the back. No, it, that's, that's, that's uh kind of a, <laughs> not going to happen. It's not a thing. It's not a thing, but yeah. uh, the, the flip side is I have, you know, I've actively participated in probably a hundred plus, uh, search warrant, dynamic search warrants. Uh, we used to call them drug raids, whatever, but uh, nowadays with uh, differing crimes, it's not necessarily just drug-related. It could be some just horrible person that's committed a horrible crime, and we know where they're at, and we have a search warrant. So we are actively breaching and going into a a structure that we may or may not know the layout of, and it is guns and eyeballs. Guns are up, and and you're constantly scanning for threats and assessing and taking corners and collapsing sectors and doing all these things that as a civilian are pretty low probability. And in that the weapon mounted light is, you know, we have both hands on the gun weapon mounted light is on. As soon as we, we cross the threshold of the door and we're going to find the bad guy. So Mm -hmm. there again, (laughs) That's one of those situations we talked about, uh, you know, where you could potentially muzzle somebody that's not a threat in a dynamic entry like that. Everyone inside that structure is a threat until they're not. And that's something that I think really differs from the civilian world. Um, Huge. Yeah, it's the opposite, right? In my world, yeah. everyone's not a threat until they are. Right. Um, you know, I mean, last night I woke up about 2.40 a.m. and all the lights were on downstairs. And I'm like, what the crap? And sure enough, it was my son. He'd woke up, scared of the dark, decides he's going to go turn on 12 different light switches <laughs> in the house. And it's like, okay, fine. Like, I'm going to go turn off all these lights, yell at him and tell him to go to bed now. Um, but yeah, that, that, you know, I presume that it's something innocent, frankly, and, and maybe that's bad. You know, we could have an argument about whether or not my tactics stink, but just statistically, those, those are the odds. You said one other thing that I find really interesting. And uh, I, I mean, I said, I said there were two and now I'm thinking of a third. The first one I said is just that, you know, context is mm-hmm. different. The second thing, which you just harped on again, so we don't need to kill it, but you, you mentioned needing a second hand for operating a radio handcuffs, things that, you know, as a civilian, I just never need to do. But the third thing you said, and I think this is really, really interesting. I hadn't thought about this until you said it. And Steve, you're going to have some, some input on this, but you mentioned, you know, the second you breach the lights on and it's staying on. And in the carrier world, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a more, I won't say more, I got to be careful, but I think it's, it's commonly thought to be a best practice to not flip that light on initially or at all until you're ready to, you know, identify the threat. Um, this idea of almost like, uh, I don't want to identify my location. I don't want you to know where I am. And so, you know, I'm going to maybe, you know, light on, do a scan, move to a new location without, with my, with my light off, flip light back on, do another, you know. And so I think maybe some of the tactics are different because I'm not breaching and saying, okay, guys, like there's four of us, we're going through this door and whatever we find, you know, it's, it's completely different where um, I'm trying to be a little bit more covert 
Uh, and so that's another interesting thing you said that, that I picked up on. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, got Let me add some, some things here. First of all, the perspective I have is from uh, being a, a deputy constable. Did not do patrol, but I was on the special response team. And I actually participated in a fair number of dynamic entries, uh, including uh, many of them, which uh, Hany Mahmoud was the, uh, the point man. And so a couple of observations I had uh, from the perspective of using that uh, in that realm was when we breached the house, uh, basically having our lights on uh, kept us from being backlit. That is, it made it more difficult for, you know, someone in there that was armed with bad intent to see exactly, you know, where we were and who we were, you know, what we were, we were, were coming with. Uh, the other thing from that uh, perspective is that, you know, any time that I came around a hard corner or I basically came in there and then broke around to look behind the door because people do head behind there, you had to have a light on. You had to be in a position to engage somebody with just, you know, a nanosecond uh, notice. And so and another thing is just the exact same thing that you did say earlier, Brian, is I did, uh, with, while holding a weapon down light, I did have to go hands-on uh, with the guy one time. And uh, being able to have left hand free, that was very advantageous. So that was, uh, okay, I thought, well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, does I, is there, are there any parallels, uh, that bring it back to what we would consider to be the concealed carry's real world? And one of those may very well be is that you have someone that has broken into your house and you know about it and you have to go and rescue another person in your house. And in that instance, you basically become that hostage rescue, uh, active shooter response team. And so everything kind of changes. So we're not actually in that stealthy mode. We're in a very active, dynamic mode. So that's also something to be considered. Uh, I took Craig Douglas, who probably is, as far as I'm concerned, he is available to civilians. He's the best instructor I know in terms of teaching on movement structures. And uh, he teaches it not only to civilians, but law enforcement, and even, you know, there's, there's, there's tier one operators, uh, that have been, you know, contracted him to come teach that because they also sometimes operate, you know, individually. I took that course three times. It's a 20 hour course in which we did much of our work in low light. Uh, we had available to us both handheld lights and weapon mounted lights. And pretty quickly, uh, we all learned that a handheld light was going to be the superior tool for a concealed carrier in almost every scenario except basically two. And those scenarios were when you actually did take someone at gunpoint, the ability to, you know, use the weapon mount light as opposed to the handheld light in order to call 911 or, you know, grab a child or doing something was really critical. So the person's that tended to search for knowing that there was someone in the other room, they were using airsoft pistols that had weapon mount light. Uh, Brian and Jacob, they got the bezel of their light shot out yeah. quite consistently, you know? And so it was like, ah, oh, that's, uh, I think Craig calls them a bullet magnet. So it's, it's two separate tools in the toolbox. I do have 
a uh, welded metal lot. I have a surefire lock that's on my Glock 19 that's on my bed stand. And I had another surefire lock uh, there, which is a handheld. And basically, the weapon mount light for me backs up the handheld. Not because I think the handheld might go down, but because it just plays a completely different role. Right. Well, it's, uh, that's funny you say. Uh, you, we, we've been kind of brand dropping here with just Streamlight and Surefire. So I'll go ahead and, <laughs> I'll go ahead and tell you why um, I went with uh, uh, Streamlight for or my, uh, you talked about airsoft, um, simunitions, which is like way grown up airsoft. Um, mm-hmm. those, <laughs> the surefires don't have the ability to change the vessel. <laughs> so I went, or they used to not back. I'm talking like 10 years ago when I did, did some Sims, low light Sims training. Um, they were a bullet magnet and you learned really mm-hmm. quickly to get your, you know, when you're searching, to search with your handheld light somewhere away from your face. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, I had two count them two, 300 plus dollar surefires struck in the bezel with a SIM and destroyed. And, uh, now they were kind and replaced them. And I, I applaud both streamlight and surefires customer service. Uh, but the streamlight, I was able to actually change the bezel myself. <laughs> so that was the, that was one of the big reasons I went with that now, but I did, uh, at the time have two surefire weapon mounted lights because I just knew if I was going to be in a Sims training scenario, one of them was going to get shot. So a <laughs> little, little food for thought on the training side there, but, but yeah, something, uh, well, I think- go ahead, Jacob. Well, I, I was just I was just trying to kind of uh, summarize, I guess, and and for myself and for a listener, you know, some of these great thoughts because I think, you know, one of the biggest take- takeaways to me from this whole conversation so far, uh, which is something I, I've always felt, is that the correct answer is not which. The correct answer is like have both, right? There's two tools, yeah. and you're better off when you have both in any given scenario, uh, and and certainly as as mentioned, law enforcement officers probably have more practical application. But in any given scenario, it's sort of like, uh, well, ideally you have both. Like, why would you know? You're always better off if you have both, uh, when when possible. But they have different applications, and they're used in different ways. And they are bullet magnets, so handheld has that that advantage. If I'm able to offset, uh, but having two lights means I can light up a greater area. And also, anyway, all these things we've been talking about, I'm just kind of assimilating it and thinking about how. Um, it reinforces some things I already believe to be true, but it's also just giving me better understanding and context and tweaking um, some some of the, some of my pre-existing beliefs about the useful light. Yeah, and you you mentioned having both. I actually uh, adopted years ago um, that I carry two handheld lights when I'm on duty. When I'm off duty, I carry one because the chances of me needing it are pretty pretty slim in general. Uh, and you know, lights are way more reliable than they used to be in in, when I first started. But, uh, when I'm on duty, I typically have some type of a hundred plus lumen pin light tucked into my vest. Uh, what do you call it? Your, your strike plate carrier. And I have my normal sized handheld and I have my gun light. And, uh, (laughs) Because I, I have literally been in the situation with other officers where it's like, oh, no, my, my, my handheld went down. You go, well, <laughs> here you go. I got an extra. 
I, not that I was inspector gadget, but I, but I always tried to have two handheld lights, but one weapon mounted light because I can do without, I can manage without a weapon mounted light. I cannot manage with no handheld light and just a weapon mounted light. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense to me, which is my world, right? I mean, as we mentioned earlier, not, none of the three of us, uh, you know, carry a concealed off duty, you know, rig with a weapon mounted light, but all of us are walking around with some sort of handheld. Yeah. And if the world digresses, I, that's kind of one of my markers. If the world digresses to a point that I have to carry a weapon mounted light when I'm off work, um, <laughs> things have gone, taken a serious turn for the worst. So Steve, you got anything on that? No, I think you guys have touched on everything very, very well. Uh, the only thing I would just not so much, you know, add, I think I've already mentioned it, is uh, training in how to use a handheld light within a structure is so important. And uh, uh, that ability to kind of keep that handheld light away from your face, uh, I think kind of outweighs any advantages uh, maybe for most of us gained by using something like, you know, the, the, the Harry's position or the cigar position or some of these other, uh, you know, positions that people were using, uh, with the handheld in order to get a little bit better accuracy so they could at least get, you know, a part of that second hand on the gun. Yeah. My, uh, I'll throw this out on the training side for law enforcement. If you have ever truly pied a corner and I mean, by pieing, I, I mean, your shoulders are out in front of your hips. You've got a wide base and you're literally searching micro inches as you're, as you're making a, a tactical uh, pie around a corner. You're slicing just millimeters at a time, looking for everything from the ceiling to the feet. And if you've ever done that and tried to manage a handheld light with a weapon light, Man, it is absolutely exhausting. Um, and, you know, you're talking about a hard corner that may take you three to five minutes to safely secure. Um, and that, that to me, was where I really gained a love for the weapon-mounted light um, because you're essentially exposing your right eyeball and the gun and contorting your body in a way that having a handheld light is just nightmarish in that scenario. I mean, and guys did it for, I don't know, a hundred years or something. I think the pie technique's been around probably for 50 years, but that in and of itself was enough for me to go, yeah, I need to clip a light on my gun and buy the new holster and do, do this and that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, glad the new uniformed police officers that I work with get issued that equipment. But for me, it was a, it was a jumping off point and it, and it really centered around tactical building searches. So here's a question for you guys that I'd like to hear your input on. So let's presume that I got my, my gun in one hand with my weapon mounted light mm -hmm. and I got my handheld in the other hand and I, uh, you know, I may, to whatever degree I may or may not have, you know, for whatever reason, this is, this is my loadout. This is what I got in my hands. And the moment comes when I decide I need to put some, some bullets, you know, toward a target, you know, drop, drop the handheld, activate the weapon mounted or go to some, you know, shoot one hand. Like what, what, what's the go-to and, and, and 
you know, I'm looking for some, you know, some practical insight, mm-hmm. you know, having seen a handful of, you know, these kinds of things take place on body cams and other things, it doesn't tend to look real awesome. No, it gets pretty ugly pretty fast. Um, for me, I, if you have the presence of mind to let go of your handheld light, um, I will buy you a dinner at the steakhouse of your choice. <laughs> it's not happening <laughs> because uh, to be honest, uh, and I've heard, I heard a very renowned instructor tell me, or uh, he did a YouTube video and he says, you know, you, and to quote him, he said, if you see a threat, you very simply let go of your handheld light, apply both hands to the gun, activate your gun light. And I'm like, I know this guy has been shot at. I know his background and his history. And I know that is the textbook PC answer. Like that's, that is the perfect scenario answer. The reality of it is I have never once seen an officer drop his light until the second volley of fire came in. And what I mean by that is we've addressed the threat. The threats reappeared. Now I go, Oh, I can put both hands on my gun. I've seen a lot of them with guns smashed in between the, the, or light smashed in between the gun and no weapon mounted light on. And then, okay, we've, we've had a kind of a hasty ceasefire here. So I activate my gun light. I get rid of the handheld light and then we get back in the fight. But on initial encounters, I have not seen anybody that has possessed the self-discipline to drop the light quote, simply dropped the handheld light. I I've never seen that happen. Um, and, and I've been in some encounters that were extremely high stress. And I can tell you for me, I'm one of the odd, like parts of the populace that does not get the adrenaline dump until after a situation, which is, it's great because, you know, my doctor says that that probably means you'll have cardi <laughs> cardiological problems later in life. But Um, but for me, it's been activate the gun light, keep one hand on it. I know my capabilities. Now I'm going to stow my light and I'm going to go both hands on the gun. Um, now that is not in a shooting scenario. Everyone I know that's been in a shooting scenario with a light went, I don't remember if the light was on. I I know I had it on at some point. I think, um, that tends to be the kind of, I won't say standard answer, but it, it varies from that to, I, I pulled the trigger as fast as I could and then the shooting stopped, you know? So, um, so there's really no standard answer in a perfect world. Yeah. You would definitely transition and ditch the handheld at least long enough to address the threat, cover the threat, maybe recover it and then go hands on. Um, which is another thing I don't think in the civilian realm, if you just plugged, if you just filled a bad guy with lead, the chances of you going up and handcuffing him are probably not. Yeah, they're probably zero. So whereas a policeman, we immediately have to start rendering aid, secure them, um, you know, make sure the situation is safe enough that we can, we can start rendering first aid to that person, which I think is kind of a concept that has started to creep into the civilian context but not as much as it is in the law enforcement realm where, hey, you just heard them, call them an ambulance and start rendering aid right now or as soon as it's feasible. So, you know, I, and I've had several several of my coworkers and friends that have 
you know, had been in that situation and had to go from, I just potentially killed this person to now I have to revive them. So that's something I think as a civilian, you may not be um, as liable for as a policeman would. So food for thought. Jessica, let me let me add some things here. Uh, first thing that I found out uh, doing that, those three courses with Craig Douglas, including uh, one of them, my, my training partner was actually Spencer Keepers. Uh, we got in a lot of uh, simulated uh, gunfights is that uh, the reason that you got in that particular gunfight right there is because you were doing a search of your house. And the reason you were doing a search of your house is, one, uh, you really didn't think anything was in there, but you were just you know, going to go ahead and just check it out because you thought it would not be prudent to just, okay, accept that and then go back to bed and find out there was someone, or because you had to leave your room in order to go to another part of the house in order to, you know, rescue another person. And uh, in low light, especially doing the kind of technique that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer of, is my initial, if I light you up, my handheld is not close to my head. It's away from my head. Once you have that light on, uh, you don't want to take that light off. And especially when that person is acting aggressively towards you, uh, I think it would be extremely difficult for me, and I never saw this done, is to, okay, I'm going to release that and then get two hands on this gun, activate the light, and engage. So that's my first thought, is I think the situation is such that if we uh, surprise someone, uh, we're probably going to go ahead uh, very much as what Brian was saying, as we're, we're going to fight the way we arrive. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, we need to consider is, okay, what are the size of the room? that this might occur in your house, unless you're like the Beverly Hillbillies and you have a big mansion, uh, probably none of your rooms are, you know, much more than maybe 30 feet long. Uh, I think that in that kind of situation, you know, uh, I'd like to see everyone get up to the ability that, okay, I can at least, you know, get my gun up here and even offhand under stress, you know, I can start getting some center hits with that. And then I said two things. Third thing, is that ideally, uh, if you've got somebody in your house, whether it's a home invasion or a home intruder, is uh, if you're in a position where you can basically bunker up in your room, get in that hard corner. Uh, I think Brian mentioned that earlier. It's going to be for you know persons that are not familiar with that term. It's going to be a corner that's on the same side of the room as the doorway. Which what that means is is that that other person, in order to see you. In that corner, if you're over there in that corner properly, they're going to have to enter with some part of their body, and the chances are you will see them first. And that is a good time to really have that weapon you don't like. In my opinion, Brian, you may agree or not agree. Uh, you're not doing a search. Uh, your, your thing right there is, is I'm going to light this guy up. And that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily waiting for that person so I can ambush him. Uh, it may very well mean that, hey, I've announced this guy, hey, I'm armed, I've called 911, do not come in here. If you come in here, I will shoot you. And then just be prepared for, you know, that occurrence. Yeah, completely agree. Um, you did use the term ambush in there. And uh, I remember, it's a little aside, and it's it, it, it could be somewhat controversial, but uh, I asked a, 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 
an old head policeman when I first got on the PD. Um, I was working graveyard shift, right? And everybody knows burglaries happen in the middle of the night. Well, probably not. They happen in, during the day when everybody's at work. That's pro- that's the highest probability you have to have a home. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yes, thank you. Um, well, that just happened to be my hours of uh, of sleep, right? So I said, man, I, I worry about this. And there had been a burglary in my neighborhood in the middle of the day. And uh, so I, I asked this older guy, I said, man, uh I'm really worried about, I go to sleep and I sleep really hard because I get off work at seven 30 in the morning. And he said, well, first of all, get a dog. So I got a dog, got this beautiful boxer anyway. And, and he says, and the next thing is, he said, if you are awakened by a loud noise, unless there's somebody in the house with you, don't go figure out what it is. He said, set up a hasty ambush. And I went, huh? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and it, for me, it was like, oh, whoa, that's that's kind of that's kind of uh, I don't know how to say that, that's kind of an aggressive term. And he said, well, what I mean by that is get yourself in some place that you can shoot from that's going to be difficult for somebody to shoot at, and then get on your phone and call the police. And uh, you know, so that was he used that term. I don't like using the term ambush, but he said, you know it's the same principle set somewhere that it's going to be difficult for somebody to get to you, but not so difficult for you to address a threat. And, uh, consequently, uh, I, I think he was right in that regard is if there's nobody else in my home, there's no need to go search it. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely. we use the term uh, in our curriculum, we use the term IFDR isolate the family, defend the room, right? Leverage the check, leverage the choke point barricade, isolate you know so all that sounds a little bit less uh aggressive aggressive i think than (laughs) yeah yeah, then but i like ambush ambush sounds good um i guess one one of the thought i had uh you know if we're gonna just to kind of wrap up perhaps the conversation on weapon lights the i'm thinking about activation you know we've seen so many products come out over the years you mentioned the tlr1 which is like Mm -hmm. good old trusty it's like old faithful in, in in my weapon mounted light world and the TLR1, I love the activation on that light. I mean, I love it. I've never found a light since that I like as much as the activation of the TLR1. It could be because that's, you know, I was in, in Jacob low light shooting land. That's what I was raised on. But, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of new lights and some of them like uh, the TLR7 and TLR8, you know, which came out from Streamlight not too long or was that 2019? I think 2019. Yeah. It's more like an inward push. It's like you're, you're, you're pushing inward toward the middle of the gun to activate those. I can't stand that thing. Um, and then, and now we're seeing a lot of like the, all the O lights, you know, which is almost like a push forward and down a little bit kind of thing going on. And I, so anyway, I'm just curious if you guys have strong feelings about uh, activation on these weapon mounted lights. Steve, you go ahead. You go first. Uh, I'm kind of a fan of just that simple old toggle switch. I think uh, that's what you're probably describing, Jacob. Uh, I like that myself. I definitely do that with my offside thumb as opposed to my finger. Uh, I've heard where people that manipulate that with their trigger fingers sometimes end up getting their finger uh, into the uh, the trigger guard. Uh, I'm a fan of that. Uh, the surefire that I have, uh, basically, it, you, you can either, you can push it to be momentary and then push it down in order to uh, walk it in uh, either way. Uh, I basically, like I said, I just don't do searches. 
with the weapon mounted light. Uh, if I'm going to you know, illuminate that light, I'm going to go ahead and hit that toggle switch. And so, Ben, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I think the toggle switch is the way to go. Yeah. The, it, I carried that, that TLR one for years and years. I still, I still, that's primarily what I carry. I've gone to the, to the surefire stuff as of late, uh, mainly because it was issued and you know, my budget, it, it didn't dent my budget. So with that being said, just turn it on. It really, to me, I understand the whole concept of don't activate it with your trigger finger. But if you are hands-on with somebody and you need to get a light on, just turn it on. Um, if that means reach up there and push it with your trigger finger, now that's like last ditch. That's the last effort I have to do it. Then train yourself to know what that feels like and do it. The other thing is that is one of the many reasons that I find some benefit in a double action first shotgun. And, you know, a lot of people bag on me about that. Hey, it's a striker fired world and you're a, you're a double action guy. Uh, I carry striker fired guns from time to time as well. But uh, the one thing that I will give that streamlight system is that the reach for that light is very intentional um, away from the trigger, meaning you have to reach a lot further out there to turn it on. If under the circumstance, you have to activate it with your trigger finger. Uh, the other thing is if, if you're just trying to get some illumination and maybe you're in an entanglement, uh, at least you can press it forward, which is the opposite way the gun goes bang to activate it. Uh, the old TLR one rocking lever. I love that thing. I think it's, it's exceptional because you can go momentary or you can go momentary from either side and you can go light on from either side. But if the situation calls for it, just turn it on it. We don't like, there's no need to have a semantic argument on it. Get the light on. That's kind of my take on it anyway. So, yeah. So I I'm with you guys. I, 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 I think the, the ultimate end all is, you know, like train and practice with what you got. Yeah, whatever that is. And, you know, get really familiar with how to activate it in various, various ways and all those kinds of things. And I think that's, that's the big key is you see a lot of people show up at these classes and it's just becomes really apparent, you know, who the person is who bought a cool widget and has never used it until they show up in the class uh, versus the person who bought a cool widget or not cool widget, but they've practiced, they've trained it. They know how to activate it from both sides, one hand to two hand. They know, you know, just, they just know how to run their, their gear so I think there's there's that to be said, but I do think that sometimes I see manufacturers put out things that I think this is not as good. This is right. this is harder to activate. This is more difficult. Um, I have uh, I have I mentioned the TLR seven, and I love Streamlight. By the way, I'm a, I'm a big Streamlight believer, but the TLR seven to me, I I just hate how difficult it is to activate this light. But I also have here the PL two um, Valkyrie from mm -hmm. Olight, and I think Olight is sort of on my um, jury is still out list. Like I think they have some cool products, but I don't. I don't see enough serious professionals using them yet to know how well they'll stand up under all the various conditions. But anyway, that, that's Jake. That's aside. Uh, but but the PL2 uh, Valkyrie has a similar uh, kind of toggle switch as the TLR7, but it's easier. It just takes less like strength to get on. And so I'd like it fine, even though it's similar. The, the point is you, you may not be able to look at some pictures on the internet or some dude on an Instagram video and be like, oh yeah, that light is sweet for me. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to, play with and use stuff. And, and that's where you find out it's failings. Yeah. The, um, uh, you know, mention that push button toggle system. 
I am really not a fan of something I have to push twice to get it to turn off um, <laughs> or to hold it to turn on. And if I just tap it, it's momentary. Uh, I, I think there was maybe to me and, you know, being in the product manufacturing business, you look at things and you go, okay, as the end user, how is that going to be implemented as opposed to mm-hmm. this is an engineering marvel and let's implement it. And it, I'm not ripping on them. There is some, I think there's some validity to that switching system. I think, okay, you know, uh, but I did handle, was it the TLR seven a that has the rocker switches mm-hmm. and it's the same size yep. light. I handled a prototype of that one and I went, okay, you're on to something now. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and it's also, it's not foreign, um, to the end user. The, um, when I came on, one of the big things, one of the big benefits was, uh, was surefire having that under the trigger guard light. And I immediately thought that is a great idea for the right guy, but for the general populace, that is a horrible, horrible idea. (laughs) And, and, Consequently, we've seen both sides of that. Some guys use them and they go, man, this is where it's at because, you know, I'm shooting with gloves on and it's, you know, it's just part of the the operation of the pistol. And I go, how many of my civilian brethren out here are going to be shooting with some mechanics gloves on? Probably not many. Um, Never. Yeah. yeah, And I can understand, you know, especially you've been in Denver, you're probably going to wear gloves at some time of the year. So yeah, okay, maybe I could tailor it that way. But um, if you haven't been through a lot of stress inoculation, that could really cause you a problem really quickly. Uh, and I've seen that firsthand uh, a number of times, even with people that have been. But uh, but that wouldn't dissuade me from exploring it as much as it is be cognizant that that's an that that's a potential. And that's where you talked about people in classes that have widgets. I can identify somebody right away that has that has bought a product hoping it will make them better versus a person that's decent that has bought a product to increase their their effectiveness and weapon mounted lights that's uh <laughs> that's that's one that I see that a lot of people think they need as opposed to people that are somewhat experienced realizing that that will increase their effectiveness does that make sense Well, guys, we've been at it this one hour currently. So is there any final thoughts from Steve Moses? Uh, No, I think you guys have done a really good job of uh, touching on this particular subject. And I think it's an important subject. And I like the way that both of you uh, kind of articulated your position. And, uh, man, I, I think you guys did a fantastic job. All right, Steve. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. And uh, we will be talking to you in the future. I got a couple of other topics that uh, that you're you're going to be a subject matter expert on. So thanks, Steve Moses from Palisade Training Group. I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign you off there, Jacob. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Uh, ConcealedCarry.com is actually carrying this podcast, so we appreciate any time we can wrangle one of you guys into uh, being on the podcast. Well, thanks for, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about this and, and to see both sides of the conversation with no law enforcement background myself, you know, all of my context and all of my training and all the content I consume is really oriented toward the concealed carrier. And I appreciate uh, having, having that opportunity to see both sides of the, of the aisle. 
Thanks again for being on the podcast, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. A reminder, check out our sponsors. Our sponsors for this episode is the Concealed Carry Gun App. Check that out. It's part of ConcealedCarry.com and also Mountain Man Medical. Check them out at MountainManMedical.com. I am your host, Brian Eastridge. This was Episode 6, Weapon Mounted Lights. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.